lovely. I like the sound of the word. It means people can live free. I've always shown you a soldier, not only to defend, but able and willing both to defend and protect. You've already won! But mark my words. This war will be fought not on the frontier or on some distant battlefield, but amongst us, among our homes. Our children will learn of it in their own eyes. And the innocent will die with the rest of us. Hello guys, welcome back to Where Liberty Dwells. This is your host, Pack and Patriots. I want to um, apologize real quick, guys. Last week I had some technical issues and I was not able to come out with a new episode. However, this week uh, we're not going to see just one installment, but we're going to see two installments of the Hope for the Hopeless series. Uh, I got a trick for you though. Both of them are going to be about uh, the land you were born in. Uh, all right. This week I'm doing America for Hope for the Hopeless. Now, before we get into it, I'll break them up into two things. Um, the first is going to be this one is we're going to do we're talking about the American Revolutionary War, um, and then for the next one you'll have to tune in and wait and see. But for this one, uh, I want to kind of you know walk you through. Uh, what we've already talked about. So, the first episode, we covered Rhodesia. Uh, the second episode, we covered Ireland. The third episode, we covered Scotland. Uh, this episode, we're covering America. I mean, it is phenomenal, guys. Like, I, I it's just, it's mind-boggling to think how we started versus where we're at now. Um, but, I do think it is important to note uh, a couple huge things before we get started. One is when when this when our country became a country it was nothing but wilderness that's all it was it was inhabited by indians um who did not like uh whites at all did not like anybody coming into their land uh they'd already dealt with the spanish the french um the english and you know we the Europeans fought back and conquered and carved a new new section for their empire out of this land. So uh, you know, with that, uh Europeans fled Europe to come to America to be able to worship God. Now this is hugely important to note. They came from Europe because they weren't allowed to worship God, as the Bible says. They came to America to, to, to create a Christian nation. Now, at the time, they really weren't concerned about an actual nation. At the time, they just wanted to, to leave, to go to new, unexplored, unconquered lands, to be able to have that freedom to worship God as the Bible instructs. Now, it's just, oh, guys, it's so mind-boggling. So we're going to fast-forward from that. It's just a little bit of a backdrop for you. I won't be going into the history as much um, on this episode. I'll be focusing more on the stories because uh, most of y'all, according to my statistics and everything, live in America. And because you live in America, you should have already learned 
uh, American history as far as you know the the basic the basic uh, tenets of how this country came to be. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of uh, hone in on a couple specific uh, events that happened um, and how it, they correlate with how important they were, um, and then a couple people, and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, I mean, you guys, it's oh my gosh, it's just, I'm so excited for this episode. Um, all right, so I mean, we've got. Oh my gosh, we've got the, alright, the first thing we're going to cover is, real quick, we're going to cover the Boston Massacre. Um, so, for at, at the time the Boston Massacre happened, the uh, the Colonials and uh, Britain had been going, going at it for a while. Um, there had been disagreements over taxes, over um, uh, being, being able for the colonies to have representation in Parliament, um... You know, so that had been brewing, especially with the French and Indian War happening, and the 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 militiamen and the colonials playing a huge part in winning that on the um, American front. Uh, you know, at, at, the, at that point, the colonials, you know, were had been moving along. You know, before that time, had already been kind of going toward independence. But after that time, when England levied taxes on them to help pay for the war, they really started going toward independence. So, uh, skip it ahead until 1770, uh, 1770. almost said 1775, sorry guys. So, 1770, um, just, uh, I think it was actually about a year after the uh, French, and Indian war, French and Indian War ended. Um, there was a, it was a protest all right, it started off as a protest. So, basically, what had happened is they were getting mad um, about some taxes and about uh, some merchants imposing taxes on their on their goods. And so, you know, they came together to protest, and it was it was the uh, the town shadaks that really um, threw this together because just just a brief history. On the townshed shed acts, basically, it was a series of acts passed by Parliament during 1767 and 1768 relating to the British colonies in America. Uh, yada yada yada. They were named after the guy Charles Townsend, which spearheaded the laws. Basically, what these were doing were they were raising taxes um, to pay the salaries of governors in there. They were uh, putting taxes on some goods, so. These uh, colonials decided to come and protest. So on March fifth, uh, in Boston, it was still kind of snowy out and everything. They, you know, this whole crowd gathered to to protest um, in in a square. Uh, now, give me just a second because I, I do want to tell you what square it was. It was uh, excuse me, it was Boston Custom House on King Street, now known as State Street today. All right, so there was this. Um, there was a square outside. Uh, I don't believe it had a name. I'm not saying any. There was a square outside that these people gathered to protest. So they were protesting. Now, they are pretty fed up with the government. They were fed up with seeing uh, English soldiers or redcoats stationed uh, all around Boston. And so, you know, the, the protest, you know, as protests generally do, especially when people are very passionate about something um 
they, they have the potential to turn violent. However, um, I'm not talking about acting like animals and burning down cities. I'm talking about these protests being violent toward a government. Um, we don't say, oh man, we should bring back tar and feather now just for the heck of it. No. We say that because, you know, that type, that type of that type of violence is sometimes called for, although I am not calling for it, just for the great podcast censors out there to understand. Uh, anyway, so they were, they were going around, somebody started ringing the church bells, and usually um, church bells were only rung, rung to signify, you know, a fire or, you know, somebody getting married or something, but the frantic bell rungs that were rung that night on March 5th, 1770, were... Uh, very, very hard. They weren't joyous. They were very. They were signaling a growing tension in the town. So it brought more people out to the Boston Custom House than normal. Uh, so there was a group of British guards there, and you know everything went down. The colonials started throwing snowballs, uh, some rocks, you know, shouting at them, swearing at them. And somehow, in the middle of it all, somebody either shouted fire or somebody fired. Nobody really knows how it started, but regardless, a British soldier fired his musket, which caused the chain reaction for the whole detachment to open up. Well, everybody scattered and ran. There is an estimated three to 400 people there, which is tiny compared to what we're seeing today. But regardless, um, they scattered, and you know, around them, there were some some casualties. Uh, there was a freed slave, Crispus Attucks, who was there, uh, who, from what people are saying, you know, was, was the one shouting to. Might not have been throwing rocks or snowballs, nobody knows. Um, anyway, so there was 11, 11 casualties. Um, three people died instantly. Um, Attucks, Gray, and oh, excuse me, Alex Gray and Caldwell, um, and then a 17-year-old apprentice uh, died the next morning, and then Patrick Carr, an Irish immigrant, died two weeks later. So there were there were five dead, and then one died in 1780. You know, a full uh, ten years afterwards. They say it may have something to do with that. Nobody knows. So we're going to five. Uh, civilians killed in that protest. So after that protest, there's a big court trial. Uh, Samuel Adams actually represented the British soldiers and got them all off. Um, this is a very beautiful show of lawmanship. But after that event happened, there was such a rise in New England. Not necessarily the southern states, but in New England. And there was such a call a growing call for independence. Now, uh, John Adams, who, excuse me, not John Adams, Samuel Adams, love John Adams too, but I'm talking about Samuel Adams right now, was John Adams' cousin, um, and he was a self-made rabble-rouser um, politician. He really didn't make a lot of money. He tried several successful businesses, including a distiller, distir I cannot talk, excuse me, including the distillery, um, but ultimately failed at all of them. But it is pertinent to note that Samuel Adams' beer is named after him. And I believe uh, it was either somebody working in the distillery 
after Samuel Adams died, figured out how to do it or something like that. I can't remember. Cool story behind it. But um, there was that going on. And then you had him involved in a couple other um, issues and stuff at the time. But this guy was, I mean, he was on fire for the cause of liberty. He did not like the British government at all. He wanted the, he wanted the states to be independent. So he formed this group called the Sons of Liberty. Now, they weren't a militia because at the time, you know, every town community, they had a militia, um, which was just the people in the community doing drills, you know, on a weekend or something, just in case something happened. It was very commonplace throughout that. The Sons of Liberty were not that. They were, they were a special group that were, um, that were made up of very wealthy men or men of great stature or skill. Um, and they would come together and they would talk politics. They would talk, you know, in bars and taverns. They would get private rooms and they would just discuss. They would draw up plans hypothetically for, you know, independence to, to shake off the government, to, to form a new nation. And Samuel Adams, along with James Otis, spearheaded this and created this. Now, James Otis got hit in the head, or kicked in the head by a horse, I believe, and he started going crazy a little bit. So Sam Adams took over in the early, early 1770s. He was the one that really thought out the the protest, which unfortunately turned into the Boston Massacre, and really started, you know, spearheading and driving home the cause of liberty to people. Now, other other notable people that were members of this were, you know, Paul Revere, uh, Joseph Warren, um, and numerous other, like, huge people. So Samuel Adams, in addition to that, was uh, sitting on the Massachusetts State Assembly. And it was just, uh, he was really, you know, promoting um, a bunch of stuff, causing trouble within the state house to, or at that time the colonial house, to, you know, push for all of these demands, some unreasonable, some not. Um, but his end goal was very clear. It was to attain independence from England. Uh, and honestly, from his works and his speeches, he really didn't care whether it was a peaceful or violent uh, revolution. So he just, he wanted, he wanted a revolution and he wanted to be free. So, you know, he's... It's one of those things to where back then, um, every every single one of the Sons of Liberty was out and out committing treason. And they were understanding that they were committing treason. And they were fine with it. They were committing sedition. They were committing treason. If they had been caught, they would have been hung flat out. Or at the very least, thrown in jail. So, you know, we're going to fast forward just a little bit to... Uh, uh, April of 1775. Now, um, it's pretty cool, I think, because this this event really parallels what is going on today. Um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this in a in a uh, polite way. Okay, here we go. History, so history never, and I, I do believe that I've unfortunately led you to believe something that's not necessarily true. History never repeats exactly how it happened. People use the term, and I use the term, history repeats itself. 
That's true, but it's not. History does it, it. It never it never repeats identically, but it always repeats the circumstances. And the, it, I've heard people say it never repeats, but it rhymes. So you know, I've, I've heard it both ways. I personally think it um, the the not necessarily the events and the people, but the circumstances repeat uh, in history. And you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool to be able to watch. Because that's what we're doing. We're living in history. 50 years down the road, our kids are going to be talking about us. 150 years down the road, they're going to be going, wow, that's awesome. Or they're going to be going, I can't believe they're that stupid and just got trampled on all over. So, I mean, one of the two things are going to happen. So, getting to this event, April 19th, 1775, um, the British dispatched a command under General Hugh Percy to march to Lexington to seize and arrest um, John Adams and uh, I believe it was uh, John Hancock. Or no, no, Samuel Adams and John Hancock is what it was. And then after they arrested them, they were ordered to march to Lexington and Concord or excuse me, they were ordered to march from Lexington to Concord and destroy the colonial stockpiles of weapons. It just blows your mind, doesn't it? Like, can't you not see the the uh, Joe Biden administration giving the FBI or the military orders to march into a town, you know, arrest two people, and then confiscate and destroy any weapons they find? I mean, I can... I can see that pretty clear. Anyways, we all know the Midnight Rider of Paul Revere found out ahead of time went to warn him. So, by the time the British British got to Lexington, instead of being able to just arrest the two Sons of Liberty they wanted to for treason and sedition, instead Paul Revere had already warned them. They were gone. Um, I believe it was William Dawes that got through to Concord to warn them. So by the time the British reached Lexington, there was a line of militia blocking the British way to Concord. So we all know what happened when the shot heard around the world. They marched to Concord. Um, most all the ammunition was gone. All they got was a barrel or two of powder, and they could find no armaments. And so they were like, "Well, shoot." Then they fought the Battle of Concord Bridge. Went back to Boston, where the Americans laid siege to them until they left. So I mean, it was just kind of like. Well, that's it. That's the that's the actual war start. Now, it's interesting to note it took five years between the Boston Massacre and the shot heard around the world. And then after that, it took another year and a couple months to get the Declaration of Independence. So from seventeen seventy until seven until July fourth, seventeen seventy six, when they declared independence, so for six and a half years Technically, the Colonials, the Minutemen, the Patriots, were all committing treason against the British Crown, just in forms of laws. Now, a lot of the, um, a lot of the law enforcement and such were called Tories or Loyalists, uh, and they remained loyal to England. Now, in Patriot strongholds, they did have to evacuate. However, in places such as New York, um, 
and towns up and down the coast, uh, these loyalists made up uh, much of the population. So they just kind of kept their heads down, waiting for the British, waiting for the British army to get there. And uh, you know, I, th I think it is very uh, curious and really important to know that even during the War for Independence, the colonies were very, very divided. I mean, if you watch the movie The Patriot, um, you know, one of one of Benjamin Martin's neighbors is the one that gave the British information about him and his family and all this other stuff, right? And I think that's something everybody forgets is, you know, the, the, the 13 colonies were basically 13 separate nations fighting together. They were not united. And even, even coming in with the United States, they weren't united. They might have been united in a cause, but they were deeply, deeply divisive. Um, and just in politics, but even like during the, and that was, that was after we won the war. But even, even during the war, they were, they were very, very divided. They, they estimate, uh, I believe it's between four and 600,000 uh, loyalists left after the war was over. I, I mean, that is a ton of people, guys. That's, that's about the whole population of Atlanta. I basically just left. And you gotta imagine back then there there was not that many there was not that many people in this country, um, and three or excuse me four to six hundred thousand people left after the war. I mean that's monstrous. That's monstrous. But you know it wasn't all sunshines and rainbows either. There was in addition to the to the actual fighting, there was a lot of guerrilla units and guerrilla tactics going on. Francis Marion, uh, Nathaniel Green. Um, Dan Morgan were three of the, the most instrumental generals in being able to use strategies and tactics, uh, especially in the southern United States, to be able to beat the British. Because at the time, the British Army, guys, the British Empire was the number one thing in the world. I mean, they they bested their enemies. They, I mean, they, they literally at one point owned a third of the world, just about, in colonies. There was an old saying... The sun never sets on the British Empire because they are so vast. And um, we beat them, you know. And now it took a lot of doing. I mean, we had to go through plenty of hard times, uh, not really good food, uh, you know, and then multiply in there Valley Forge. That wasn't a picnic either. I mean, at that point, we were, you know, our, our boys were starving and dying, you know, and freezing to death. Uh, it just, it wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't one of those glorified war things that you see all over the place. Um, but I do think that it's very important to, uh, to understand that these men desired not just freedom, but these men desired to have a Christian nation so much that they gave all they had for it. You know, I mean, to me, that's just that's just mind blowing. That is just mind blowing. Um, going up against the number one, and I mean, of course, I mean, the British Empire has always been powerful. It's been a very long lasting empire, and you know, just just thinking about you know the IRA or the American Patriots going up and beating an empire so vast with so many resources. I like it almost it almost makes you sit there and go, Dag yum. Like it almost makes you feel like you can do anything. 
And you know, I mean, I mean, this this is something because I, I feel like so many people forget this. This is something that ought to fill you with hope. You know, we did it once. Oh, we did, Americans. We did it once, and we won. You know, who's to say we can't do it again? Because honestly, it, I I am convinced, without any doubt, with I'm convinced absolute with absolute certainty, if you brought back. George Washington, John Paul Jones, Marquise de Lafayette, you know, all of these generals, John Adams, Sam Adams, John Hancock, um, Patrick Henry, if you brought all of these men back, Benjamin Franklin, Paul Revere, and you showed them what the American government, not even counting the morals and the, the degeneracy, but just the government, how powerful the government is, if you brought them back and said, look, what are you going to do about it? I guarantee you, without a moment's hesitation, they would be raising armies. They would be forming shadow governments. They would be committing sedition and flat-out treason against the United States government, the federal government. And they wouldn't blink an eye. They, they'd look up and go, well, we've done it before. We'll do it again. Because these men had something. They, they, they didn't want to die. But they would rather have died than to live under an impressive government that wasn't their own. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if they came back and saw a more oppressive government than what they fought against ruling their people? Do you think for one second any of them would be okay with abortion being legalized? you think for one second any of them would be okay with homosexuality being legalized and promoted? Do you think for one second they would be fine with all these stimulus checks going out to the people by the, with the government forcing businesses to close down? No. No. They would be actively, regardless if it followed the law or not, they would be actively going out and starting another revolutionary war. Because, you know, I, I do find it funny. Nobody teaches the founding documents in them anymore. And there's one line in the Declaration of Independence that just, it, it, it gets me. It's one of the most quoted lines, right? It says that to secure these rights, or, yeah, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed with, by their creator with certain, certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, and it goes on. See, people quote that and then just stop, but it goes on. It says, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And people are like, okay. That makes sense. Listen to this next line. This was in the Declaration of Independence. Listen to this next line. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, which back then it means it means caution now, but it meant it was prudence back then. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light 
and transient causes. I mean, they're basically saying with this, if a form of government becomes evil and it becomes oppressive and it becomes tyrannical, which a former government that does those is a former government that disrespects the Bible, that chooses to follow the opposite of what God dictates. It's a government that promotes evil over good. It's a government that worships Satan instead of God, which that's the type of government we have. But it's saying that when a government gets tyrannical like that, and when, that, when, a, when a government becomes destructive and does not promote life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then that government should be done away with and a new one to be promoted in its place. These aren't my words. These are the words of the Founding Fathers, guys. But see, in today's society, with today's rules and today's definitions, theoretically, I could be tried for sedition with that. That should scare you. Just quoting and expounding a little bit to translate one of the founding documents from that type of English into today's English. That could lead me to charge of sedition. That's terrifying. That should be terrifying. But it's our duty, it's our right to throw off an oppressive government and form a new one. I mean, guys, it just... It's crazy. I mean, listen to this. That when it, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them, which means as to us, it shall seem that most likely it will affect our safety and happiness. But caution... Because to dictate, because governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. Those are powerful words. But I do want to remind everybody, this should fill you with such hope. I mean, just a bunch of red, you know, ragtag backwoods rednecks went up against the most powerful technological advanced empire at that time and still came out on top. That is unbelievable. Alright guys, um, I kind of want to keep going with this, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it uh, for this week. It's just gone a little over half an hour mark. I apologize for that. But I want to thank you all again for tuning in to Where Liberty Dwells. Um, I, go listen to the following episode. It's about America too. It's about, uh, you know, a hundred set about 100 years in the 80, 100 years in the future. And, um, you know, it's going to be a good listen to. But, guys, I just want you to think about that and, like, really just soak that in. Um, until next time, this is Packin' Patriots signing off.